Konnichiwa, and welcome back to another episode of Japan Rugby Weekly. I'm Doug the Translator, and this week I'm joined by Hurricanes, Red Sparks, Senex, and now Panasonic legend Mark Abbott. Looking forward to hear all about our Abbo's journey in Japan, so let's go. Welcome back. Uh, G'day, Abbo. Um, man, that was, that's gotten me sweaty watching you watch me do the intro, but, um, thanks for coming on. Mate, um, I wasn't actually aware that you could play the electric guitar. That was impressive stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've got it, uh, under my, um, desk here, so you can't see it, but I was just riffing away there. Well, that you're playing the sitar. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, um, how are you, Abbo Shang? Mate, I'm well. I'm, Currently sitting inside in 18 degrees in the aircon because it's hot enough to fire an egg out there. So, yeah, I'm keeping well. Nice, nice. Yeah, man. It's, um, oh, I don't think you guys have started yet, but we've, our young boys have started training. It's just been a killer being outside all day, um, in that sun. Eh? And then I'm in my little cupboard here with no aircon because of, you know, sound pollution and I'm dying. So, uh, this might be a 10 minute episode. <laughs> It works to you, mate. I've got all the time to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, and that's all we've got time for now. Um, but uh, just for a bit of background, I met you. Uh, I think it was what I was one of the first people to ever see you when you touched down in Japan. I think hey? we came to pick you up at the airport. I remember clearly walking out those doors, and there was uh, Suisan and Eto, mm. and then there was a strange little uh, half Japanese, half New Zealand boy there, and I was like. He looks like the translator. He looks like a good cat wearing a Warriors jersey. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, oh, go the Warriors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I can't pass up a chance to say go the Warriors in any context. Eh? But I, uh, yeah, I remember it as well. I think um, most of the time we, uh, I think all the other boys had already pretty much arrived, but you came after the Super Rugby season with um, the Canes. And then, what, it was two weeks later or a week later, you're on the bench. So it was all pretty quick for... um. The Abos, the Abos, the Abbots. But um, <laughs> oh man, I uh, I can't think. My head's frying. Anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Stress um, yourself out, mate. Man, honestly, relax, brother. It's all good. It's all good. I think I'm like scared. I'm gonna break my mic because I'm uh, it's gonna be dripping with sweat. But um, <laughs> uh, I know you're in Saitama now. But um, how are you finding that new city? Well, yeah. Well, we've been here a week now. Um, and I, do, I really know what to expect, to be honest. I've never been out. Well, I have been out these ways only for a game um, four years ago. But, yeah, loving it so far. We're in a, in a place called Kagohara, which is one stop past Kumagaya City, and, yeah, we've got everything we need here. There's a McDonald's probably 50 metres across the road, oh. Starbucks around the corner, and there's a nice little river about half an hour away. So, nice. yeah, pretty lucky. Nice. Um it's Saitama is always Kumagaya. It's always like the city that gets the highest temperatures in Japan. And I think like the hottest <laughs> it gets is like, what, 41 degrees or something I've seen. So I got told that the day before we moved up here and it gave me a real, real shock. <laughs> Tore up the contract. <laughs> yeah. yeah, almost. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, nice. Um, but then I guess just in case anyone, uh, like doesn't know, I guess where you came from. Um, obviously you, we were playing with the Hurricanes for a couple of years before you came to um, uh, Japan. And uh, one of our good mates, Jimmy Marshall, he does a podcast, or a lad podcast, and he went into in depth about, I guess, your journey up until Japan and a little bit about Japan as well. Um, so if you want to hear that, 
make sure you go check that out. And then, uh, yeah, so I guess we'll just go straight into it um, with you in Japan. But I guess what made you decide to come over here? Um, yeah, so like I said to Jimmy, in New Zealand, you, you get a really short window in between seasons to um, refresh and, and, you know, the mind and the body before you have to start training again. And, you know, it's about four weeks and of that you get about a week and a half off before you start moving again. So, and I'd heard in Japan that there was a big break between seasons and that really appealed to me in terms of wanting to travel and, and you know, see, you know, see the world a bit. So, um, yeah, that was a major, major attraction for Japan. I knew absolutely nothing about it, to be honest. I hadn't really been on my radar when I was playing New Zealand, but um, pretty much from the minute we landed here, um, I realised that, yeah, it was the place to be and I, I don't really want to go play in Europe. I'm pretty happy here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, but were there any, like, other, I guess, options for you uh, when you made that choice? Like, was uh, were places like Europe and stuff an option and, I guess, other clubs in Japan as well? There was one. There's a couple of options in Europe. Um, and and they, were, they were good and I obviously entertained them um, completely. But, yeah, just when Japan popped up and I was, had to think about it and I was like, well, that's pretty different it's a bit out of it something i hadn't really thought about and then uh, delved further into it and asked a few people i had a friend uh, andrew horrell was playing at um coke at the time obviously he was injured unfortunately and ended up playing but so i spoke to him and he he really enjoyed his time here and uh and it kind of sold me i was like well let's let's try something completely different something out of our comfort zone and yeah haven't looked back nice nice um yeah because i guess uh, like you said that's one of the big things like um the season's normally quite short over here and then you got a couple of months of uh off season well it depends on the team really like teams like Penna have four or five months off season and then teams like coke for their employees they had about two weeks off um so there's a big mm-hmm. like um difference i guess but that was always um a big thing and then uh you could always you know you'd have a week off um i guess in the pre-season then a week off maybe during the season and uh, you're always so close to everywhere that you can kind of visit um, anywhere in the country and even like uh, other countries like Korea and stuff as well. So I know um, you were one person who, you know, really took advantage of that. And um, you've probably seen more of Japan than I have. And I've, well, I grew up here. So, um, yeah, there's one Don't thing. Don't you, in fact, Japanese, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you didn't realize. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I'm more Japanese than anything else. But honestly, I just... uh. Even when I was in Fukuoka, I just, on my days off, I was just sitting in my room um, watching TV, Netflix, and then I just see all these Instagrams of you in these places I never heard of. So, um, yeah, you're an inspiration. I'll have to um, blame it on my lovely wife. She's very astute at finding the best places to go and, and things to see. So, um, yeah, obviously we lived in Fukuoka for uh, four years, so we are absolutely hammered and did everything we probably could do in Fukuoka and most part of Kyushu, um, which was really cool. And then when this opportunity came to move up here, we just jumped at it because it was a whole new area to explore and to see. And yeah, yeah. can't wait. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, well, I guess, was it a big decision? I guess um, if you're like single by yourself, um, you only really have to, I guess, think about your needs and stuff. But was it a big decision to, I guess, um, bring your partner at the time uh, with you to Japan or were you, I guess, both on board at that stage? Yeah, it was a big decision because 
Yeah, my wife Lena, she's a um, she's highly qualified accountant, so she had a very good job and a um, strong career herself. So it was a big decision for her to to leave that behind and, and come to Japan. And I don't know what you'd say <laughs> how you'd describe it, but um, yeah, you know, put that on ice for a few years. But um, when we got here, she was lucky enough to get a, a really good job in, in that industry at the Hilton. So that kept her occupied, and and obviously. She met some some of her Japanese friends through that, and had a different kind of experience um, with the working culture and stuff like that. So yeah, it was it was all positive. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, I guess that's one thing we can probably touch on a bit later about I guess the difference in working culture in our NZ in Japan because I think it's a quite quite different. But um, oh, I've got so I actually got to be cracker for you today. Oh, uh, saw when I was driving today. So you will come back to that. Come back to that. <laughs> Can't wait. Um. In like it's kind of the same vein, but like, was there a big difference in that uh, rugby culture that you found when you came over to Japan? Um, yeah, I did actually. It was, it was quite strange coming to a team where obviously everyone is a semi-pro, effectively. You know, so they're, they're working half a day and they're coming to training. Um, obviously, being super rugby, everything used to everyone being fully professional and highly motivated and high performing. So. Um, that transition, but I found it quite tough at the start because I, I come to training and I'd be as fresh as you know as I would be normally, and and the boys are kind of battling through training and and you know it'd be easy to say oh they're not giving their best, but then you've got to realise that I spent the largest part of the day working in the summer heat, yeah. and what have you been doing? You've been sitting at home in the aircon, like so. The sooner you bloody yeah you rein yourself in and, and you get a bit of perspective on it, the they're easy it is to understand and, and, and to try and work with them around you know, ways we can do things but more efficient or just small learnings as we go, not try and push it down too hard too early. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess like it just shows how much those boys, I guess, want to play rugby because heaps of them, um, I was talking to a few of them who had to do vending machines and stuff for half the day and fill with those and they were saying if they just concentrated on vending machines all day, they'd probably make more money than what they're doing now which was half rugby mm-hmm. half vending machine so um yeah and i don't think you know vending machine filling is a you know a high paying job uh mm-hmm. in any rate you know so uh it just shows how much i guess they love it but uh i don't know do you i don't know, you might not remember the game we went up and played uh canon and kamashi and we it took us a fair bit of travel to be up there i think there might have been typhoon mm-hmm. or something like that um so we're, we're away for three or four days making all the way to iwata and then we got back to Walker about nine thirty at night yeah. after the game, and um, and we had a meeting, and, and the boss said, "Yeah, now make sure you're all at work tomorrow at seven thirty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, what do you mean, mate? <laughs> Boys just worked for <laughs> 10, 12 days straight, and then yeah. uh, back to work the next morning. Yeah, it was just wild. So that's tough, bloody tough on them, boys. Yeah, well, I think um, like a lot of the people at the company don't see like those weekend days that they have playing rugby is kind of like their job because I guess they just see it as, you know, them doing their hobby or it's like a reward that they get to go play mm-hmm. rugby and they don't realise how much it takes out of the body. So they expect you. 100%. It's kind of like, well, we're letting you play rugby, so you got to come and uh, do a full day's work after that, the day after that. And, then, um, yeah, like you said, in the full heat and all of them with the dress code. Like one thing that I guess with all of you guys that affected everyone was you had to shave. But with the uh, Japanese boys at work, it wasn't just them having to shave. They had to wear was it their long sleeves and long pants and everything as well. So in the summer heat, they were just uh, 
you know, shedding the weight that they'd spent all off season trying to build. So it was just all those oh. kind of rules, you know, the dress code and everything was just crazy. But they put that weight on. Some of those boys could eat. I'll tell you what, I've never seen so many bowls of rice go down in my life. Yeah, man. Oh, whenever you go away on um camps and stuff, and it's just man, uh, you like you see those huge rice cooker uh things just there, and they go through about three or four of them, like just, and that's just before the backs arrive. All the props go through it first. They're always front and line, and man, they just love eating those oh, boys. Eh? I'll never forget the time we stayed at uh, Prince Hotel Shinagawa and Dusky Yamashita. The, well, he was a he was a loosehead prop slash hooker. He'd be potentially under four foot, um, and the amount of crab legs that, that man had night before a game, he was completely made of crab legs the whole next day. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Oh man, there was like no like real rules on um nutrition then. Eh? Like there was um a treat for us to be able to stay in that hotel with an all you can eat buffet, and everyone was just going bananas. I think um. They were just hoping to like not sit next to Earl, uh, so they didn't have the head coach watching them, and then they're just trying to fill their plate. You know? Oh, it's fair play to them. Love it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess uh, like there was a lot of things that were different in terms of the rugby culture, but also the results. Uh, we had a tough couple of seasons. Um, I guess you did quite a lot of success in um NZ, and then you know we went through that promotion relegation battle that first year. Uh, scored in the last minute to stay up and then um, kind of went through it all over again the second year. But how did you find um, being in that constant uh, battle in the bottom of the table for the last, I guess, two years that you were at Coke? Um, yeah, it was mentally very draining, eh? Because um, you, you're going out there and, and giving your best and every week you you train train well and you get to Thursday, Friday, you're like, we could be on here. Yeah. We could get a wee winner for if we turn up, um, and then obviously quite a few times, well, every time it didn't quite go to plan. Yeah, um, it, yeah it really, it's, yeah, like, it's kind of one of those situations where you're like, wow, like I'm putting my body on the line here and I'm absolutely wrecked the next day and I'm trying hard and it's just not really working and you, and you, you can't, you don't even answer for it, eh? It's, yeah. it's, um, it's a strange one, eh? It's a strange one. You just got to, I guess you just got to focus on so, so yeah, I came to Japan with the mentality that I wanted to continue training at a high high level and for my rugby to not slip off and you know to to not progress, you know, not keep trying to get better. So, for me, mentally, I, I made that decision, and obviously, I, I trained accordingly and did extras accordingly. And and everywhere I've been, I found a couple of boys who are really keen to do it as well. So, um, at Kofu had Sudu, obviously, yeah. Former Japan Sevens captain, he was he was always in to join me in whatever extra drills I was doing. It was great because he's obviously a fantastic player, so you can learn a bit from him as well. And yeah, it's those kind of things that probably got me through those couple of years there. But, but still trying to be the best I can be while I'm while I'm playing there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I know you mean about like during the week we'd go through the preview of the opposition and we'd have this plan and we're like, you know, we can beat them here and it's going real well during the week. And man, every week, I didn't matter who we were versing, I thought we could win, you know. And then I think one of the games against Penner, who you're with now, we were beating them at half time. And um, I remember mm. how hyped we were in the break uh, in the sheds and everyone was like on. Everyone, you could see it in them. Um, and then they just uh, came back right at the end. I think Joe... Uh, like did his ankle or something as well and it just kind of unraveled from there mm. and oh man it was um 
just those one just you know break your heart and like you can see like you said yeah. like it's not like people aren't trying everyone's giving their heart and like yeah i just uh i think it's just those little things if uh yeah those little things kind of decide the result and yeah it's just we um i don't know they just didn't really go our way and if they had for a few of those games early in the season would have been a completely different season um yeah. I think it's a I think it's a whole side of an organization, a mental side of the organization. And and like they say like winning is infectious and they say that um you know winning's a habit kind of thing and equally losing's a habit. Mm-hmm. And so I could point out a couple of organizations um in super rugby and international rugby that you can you can easily see it. So like so a team might come out and, you know, and they're, they're in the game and they're fighting and stuff like that. And, and all it takes is just one little thing to not go their way and then it, it all just slides the other way. So yeah. and it's those kind of things like it's really easy to see a team where, you know, like it's not it's not cohesive and behind mm-hmm. and behind in the in the wider organisation. I'm talking about the management and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah. I'm talking about the way like the, the team understand each other and trust each other like it's mm-hmm. it's such a window in the team when you're watching a team go well yeah, yeah. Um, the Blues over the last 10 years have been this team you know, going really well in these games and, and it's all looking like they're going to win and then a couple of things don't go their way and then you're just like oh they're going to lose this game now like you just you could just see it body language yeah it was just it's really obvious and I felt like a little bit that it coped mm-hmm. and yeah a bit it's exactly what happened there. <laughs> We'd be up and then something yeah. go wrong and the boys go, oh, here it comes now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, just a, just an observation, mate. Oh, um, thanks for not uh, giving uh, the Warriors an, as an example of that because I think they kind of fit into that as well. Um, but they I'm been... not a league expert, unfortunately. Oh, I, can't, I can't comment on things. Oh, I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Uh, the last few weeks, uh, they've definitely been winning or lost a lot of games that they should have won. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Uh, I think, yeah, like you said, there were a few times in the games where we we would have scored, but the last pass went to ground and then they ended up running 100 metres and scoring. That kind of thing, like, yeah. just, uh, yeah, see the boys' heads dropping. Um, yeah, it was a, it was good for the, um, to strengthen me mentally, I think, you know. Um, I, uh, and, but yeah, again, there were a few great moments. There was a moment when you uh, were one of the boys who picked and goed for, uh, 60 meters i think against dokomoto mm. um and and then i think nabe tanabe ended up scoring to get us the first one of the season and man i uh, oh. still remember all those ones you know so a lot of good times in there as well i was reminiscing on that today it was, it was about 14 or 15 weeks we went without a win and then we finally got that one win it was just before christmas or something like that yeah. oh, just the best feeling ever mate. it's almost sweeter than winning a week yeah yeah it makes it uh Makes it sweeter, eh? Absolutely. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, but I guess, uh, yeah, like you said, um, you spent two years at Coke, and then uh, from there you got the opportunity to go to the Sunwolves, the Super Rugby team. But I guess, how did that come about, and um, how was that? Well, there's a quirk in the Japanese domestic rugby calendar where whereby they wanted to move the season, so from second half of the year to the first half of the year. So there was a whole year that 2019 where they didn't have a competition planned and I was like really early on I said to manage I was like I don't, I don't really want to just be doing nothing and training for a whole year and like a good part of my career like yeah. I see it as a waste so I said I asked them to reach out to the Sunwolves and 
because I really want to stay in Japan and, and, and I'd seen them play the last couple of years and it looked like something I really wanted to be a part of. It looked quite, you know, fun and cohesive and I punched it up their weight and I was like, yeah, I'd really like to get involved with that. And then, yeah, we, we it all kind of eventuated that um, that worked out and was able to, able to play that season with them. But yeah. it was it was awesome, mate. That, that team was... Uh, there's something about. It. I mean, obviously, if we could have kept all our national, the national team players together, we probably yeah, would have actually yeah. gone reasonably well. But you know, Jamie had another plan for that, which is, which was obviously worked out really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I just remember early on, you know, we had this team, and you look around, and, and it was real apparent that we were just like a team of offcuts. Yeah. We were guys who used to play here, or used to play there, or didn't quite make it there, or were brought in from here, like. We've got Georgians, South Africans, Australians, like it's just people from all over the shop, yeah. different levels, and in you know, like in like the sum of our parts was greater than you know, mm-hmm. the, the, as the saying goes, and, and it was just so much fun. Like at the start, and then being on tour for six months, it was yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, you probably had a bit of a part to play of uh, me joining that team halfway through the season, or I guess at the start of the season. But um, yeah, like you said. It was just, um, it was all go away. Like one week you're just uh, in Tokyo, the next you're in a, you know, different part of the world, Singapore or um, Aussie or something. And I think when I joined, I went to Melbourne to see you guys for a day and then we had to go straight to Singapore after that. So I remember when I got off the plane landing in Singapore, my ankles were so fat. Like um, just, uh, <laughs> I never experienced it before. Um, but yeah, I didn't have any of that flash um, compression gear that all the boys had. Uh, yeah, I uh, but no, I enjoyed it. It was uh, some a part of I guess translating or like uh, rugby that I'd never seen before. But um, yeah, I guess uh, was there any like standouts or anything from that season or anything you kind of learned from uh, I guess being on the road or being in that environment with everyone stuck in a hotel for six months? Um, that oh, was actually surprisingly easy. Like, well, maybe I've got. Roasting glasses on, I don't know, but yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't remember having any issues with anyone throughout the time. Like, we were, like I said, it was always exciting to move somewhere, seeing other people, and this was pre-COVID, obviously, so there was absolutely no restrictions. So, yeah, that side of it was fine. Probably on the rugby side of things, I, I learned a couple of things, just just around processes and trying to keep things simple because there was a period there you'd left, but at, at the end of the season, for about a month or Four to six weeks, give or take. Mm-hmm. We were having a minimum two to three players coming in new each week. Yeah, yeah, wow. Uh, and every week on a Monday, we'd have to sit down and run them through the whole lineup, yeah. start to finish. And and then they'd have a crack and they'd stay around and then two other guys would bugger off and then two more would come in and we'd do the whole thing again. And what I realised was that in those instances, it's like less is 100% more in terms of lineouts and stuff like that because these guys they did a phenomenal job learning it yeah um from me as well they were often japanese guys so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from me. but yeah it was it was just one of those situations where you don't need to be overly complicated in those kind of situ- those situations to be effective at that level as well so yeah decent learning for me there in, in the lineout space yeah 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 oh nice um and then you kind of touched on it there but i guess the sun walls are largely you know, a foreigner team, um, like most of the foreign, uh, sorry, the coaching staff was foreign. I uh, had a, um, Japanese 
uh, forward coach and ox uh, or something. But apart from that, most of the coaching staff, the players were foreign. But did you, um, I guess, was it interesting going back into that after two years of uh, playing in like a prominently uh, Japanese team? And I guess how, I forgot to ask you as well, but how was it playing in a team where no one really understands English and <laughs> trying to get the calls across uh, during the game? Yeah. Oh, when I first got to Coke? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so back then it was it was only three foreigner rules, so there was obviously less you on the field, and um, you're constantly looking around for a translator. Um, well, luckily, we had Timmy Lafayette, who was pretty well, but he was fluent, obviously, yeah. and Danny Peters could speak quite was fluent as well. So had those guys around, but then as the season wore on, we had more and more injuries. And I remember there was one game we played maybe shocky, and I think I was the only foreigner playing. <laughs> I was sitting out the middle, and I was like. Oh, yeah, where, where do I start with this? Yeah, yeah, Trying yeah. to help the boys, direct the boys. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was tough. It yeah. was tough. But um, yeah, and then going back to Summers, obviously there was predominantly foreign coaches, foreign players, and translators more there to help the Japanese boys than the foreign boys. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't as much of an issue. So, mm-hmm. well, I think that uh, that year that you're talking about, um, especially the game against Shoki, for some reason I was up the top in the coach's box giving orders to like the water but they obviously couldn't give that to the foreign boys so they'd give the orders from Earl to um the Japanese boys but you guys weren't getting any orders from Earl like so it was just a real awkward situation where uh yeah the orders are coming in English but you guys for some reason don't get them yeah it was, it was all a bit different as uh, all a bit learning I think all the coaches and stuff obviously aren't used to having translators and stuff and just like a whole new dynamic to everything eh? yeah absolutely absolutely mate. Ah, nice and then uh, I guess straight from there you went to um, uh, Sanex and that's if anyone doesn't know it's what 30-40 minute drive from Coke so pretty close but a little bit more in the country right next to the beach but um, I guess how did you find that and uh, was there any particular reason uh, why you wanted them to make the move? Um, I, I've been to Senex the year before, two years before, for a preseason game. Mm-hmm. We pulled out to play, and I was like, "Oh my word! Like we're in the middle of nowhere here. Like I, I really don't want to play out here if, yeah. if it, it was an option." I think. And then when it became an option, and um, I think at the time I didn't really have too many other options as well. And I was like, "Well." Everyone seems to say it's pretty good. They've got a pretty good crew of foreigners that's good for prep. And then we got out there and later in the year, um, September-ish, I think, and we just loved it. Like, it was just awesome. It was a different way of life, you know. Um, yeah. Obviously, semi-rural, there's rice paddies everywhere. Um, when I got to city, it's not huge. But like I said, the beach was right there, um, 50 metres from training. Every every day after training, just walked through the trees and had a dip. and. Yeah. Learned to surf and there's golf courses just five minutes down the road. It was a, yeah, found a really good little niche there actually. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, an yeah. awesome spot. Nice, nice. Um, and all the boys are, are professional there, are they? So was it like a different schedule to what you had at Coke? Yeah, so all the, all the players at Sanex were professional. I think they still are professional as well. Um, yeah, so it was just like a regular Super Rugby or ITN Cup week where you have full days whenever they're scheduled. So, that was really good because the boys could be really focused on their footy and, yeah. and um, yeah, put the fully for them to train. You know, there was no other thing sapping them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, nice. Um, and then I guess uh, one thing we have to touch on uh one of the favourite things that I've experienced since coming over here 
uh, was the 2019 World Cup. Um, but I know you went to a couple of games there and obviously experienced uh, the whole atmosphere. But uh, what did you think of, I guess, how Japan ran that World Cup and um, how everyone bought into it? Absolutely seamless, wasn't it? It was a, just a beautiful spectacle of <laughs> how to run a tournament and a, and a festival of rugby like the fans got 100% behind it. <laughs> yeah. um, just that there was a buzz at every game. Like, oh, we didn't watch Italy, Canada. Like, yeah, blockbuster. You, you tell me, yeah, I don't know a single Italian player or a Canadian player for that matter. Yeah. But half half the crowd was just, we are Canada and yeah. flags and they're Canadian headpieces and a day. And the other half was Italy, you know? And yeah. they're just chanting at each other, having a wail at the time. And I reckon that the players would have gone, what is going on here? <laughs> Absolutely. Just yeah. love it. So. For sure. Um, I think, yeah. oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say that, yeah, they absolutely crushed it. Like it was just, yeah, it was bloody well done. Mm-hmm. Bloody well done. It's a shame, uh, shame with COVID and, and the Olympics and stuff like that, that it couldn't have spectators because that would have been, geez, they would have done that bloody well too. It would have been awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think um, everyone was kind of worried before the World Cup. Like, it seemed like there were a lot of things not going right and it, like people weren't sure how it was going to go. But when it actually happened, like, everyone was just uh, got real behind it, all the Japanese fans. And they had all these fan zones and places where you could watch the teams with their open trainings. And I think Coke, we went to um, one in Kitakyushu with the Welsh team. And I think Wales, their home was like Kitakyushu and half of Kitakyushu had learnt uh, one a uh, Welsh song in what is it Gaelic or Welsh or whatever it is like there um not yeah sorry uh for my ignorance but um yeah so it obviously wasn't English wasn't Japanese but all these people had these um it was like being in like a choir they had these sheep that they were given at the gate at just this practice and they were like okay halfway through the practice we're going to sing this song and they start playing and everyone just singing it um and it was just like gave me goosebumps eh? like no one knows what they're saying, but um, it just, yeah, it would have been so cool, um, I guess, for the players just listening to all these Japanese people sing a traditional um, Welsh song, I think. But, um, yeah, I think the fans, the fans are one thing that I didn't know um, until I came here, but they're one of the, you know, some of the best fans in the world, I think, Japanese fans. Well, I think they are the best, mate. They're definitely the best. They just, um, they, oh, some of the stuff they do, I remember one thing, I think it was at the Sunwolves, we were training, we had a morning training, one guy came and took photos of you guys. Uh, and then in the afternoon training, three hours later, he was back, he had them uh, laminated or something and he was getting you guys all to sign them. And I was just like, man, like, firstly, does this guy not have a job? But also, like, um, it's just... Uh, what is it and can I have it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It was, uh, and it was just like getting you guys to sign it. And then I think um, he had some facebook page or something and he just had all these photos and all these things and you know it's not just one guy there's so many people each team in japan's got all those kind of super fans eh? so something great to see i like, I like that about the japanese people you know like they they find their hobby and, mm-hmm. um, and they just they select that hobby and they just go for it you know it's oh. it's not no half measures mate if i'm gonna play guitar i'm getting yeah. the whole guitar foot pedals amps soundproofing like they're doing it all you know they buy it all and, before you know, they stay e- e- yeah equally with that like um if, you, if you're going to be a fan of a team you, you are like you are die hard mm-hmm. as they come you're every piece of 
clothing article you can have and every game you could go to you're there and yeah. it's, uh, it's awesome yeah yeah or if you'd like uh, a lot of fans from coke they became fans of coke because they watched guys like Tsuru play for the sevens national team and they're like oh i like this guy and he plays for coke so now coke is my team and you know they just yeah. start liking they learn all the players and um and something i always saw in new zealand all the kids, all the adults are like yelling at the players to give them their jersey or, you know, give them their boots or something after a game. But here, so many of the fans are just dropping little like presents to the boys. Like, you know, um, I think Tim Lafayette, he's got all you can drink pretty much at Starbucks from all those gift cards he gets from all his fans. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I was so surprised the first time I saw these like, um, it's yeah, all these fans just kind of dropping these little parcels to the players, being like, you know, gumbade kind of thing. It's so uh, cool to yeah, see. Yeah, it's amazing. Bloody amazing stuff. So good, eh? So good. Um, but sorry, I uh, said I was going to keep this real short, and I have not. So I'll uh, <laughs> I'll move forward a little bit. But I guess, <laughs> um, like, so you were at Cynics for a couple of years, and then now, uh, well, I guess it was a bit of shame, similar to what happened at Coke, but I guess not as big a scale. But um, you guys. At Cynics, they decided to, I guess, cut back a bit on the rugby program. Is that right? Like, yeah, my understanding is that they're, they're, they want to pull back the budget quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, I think most of the guys who are off contract were told that unfortunately we can't, we won't be resigning you. And but that was fine because they they'll be upfront about it. And I didn't have any crimes with that. I was um, I was grateful to spent the two years there. I really enjoyed. We like, absolutely loved my time there, and and was. Would have, would have happily have stayed on. Yeah. Like, I absolutely loved it there. So, yeah, it was just, it is what it is, and it was time to move on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and then we obviously got the offer up here, and yeah, heard very good things up here about Panasonic. Obviously, they're a high performing team and had a lot of, lot of success and uh, whatnot. But obviously, Robbie Dean's being the coach was a, was a big draw factor for me. So, um, yeah, those, that's where we've, we've landed now and yet to start. But, yeah. Maybe we can have another podcast in a few months time. I can tell you how it's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get the scoop. <laughs> but nice. Um, and then I guess one thing um, in between that, I guess you'd say, but you got picked up in the uh, Japan national team. And I guess like what you touched on before you, uh, before about when you first decided to come to Japan, you didn't know too much about it. So I'm guessing, you know, obviously this wasn't something that you wanted to do or this isn't why you came to Japan or anything, but when you, I guess, got the opportunity to, I guess, uh, play for Japan, um, how was that? And was it like a tough decision for you to pick Japan as your national country? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> um, so when, when I arrived here, the eligibility rules were three years, so I um, fit under that. So mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like, that's something I'd really like to do. Um, Obviously, I want to stay in Japan as long as I can. Um, enjoy playing rugby here, and then I pretty quickly put my set my targets on wanting to play for Japan, okay. and that was a, also another motivator for wanting to like obviously train hard and not mm-hmm. just skill fade or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was was keen to do that. Not so much before I left, but as soon as I got here, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd be I'd be really really keen to do that. And then once you live here for a few years, and you start to assimilate to Japanese. You know, society and get to know people and, and people in the community and friends and whatnot. Like, you do feel a part of it and you do feel like, you know, actually, you know, I want to represent this country. Like, um, yeah, like, I don't know. Look, when I'm watching the Olympics here, like, for example, I'm, I'm watching New Zealand, I'm keeping an eye on New Zealand medal tally and then 
also watching the Japanese one and seeing where yeah. they're going. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, quietly proud of them doing really well. So, I'll definitely, uh, definitely go for nature camp for sure. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, you would have been in the position to be selected for that uh, Lions camp, but obviously I uh, picked up a little niggle, so you weren't able to do that. But hopefully you'll be in that uh, team and in that scene soon. But um, yeah, I guess you're probably like, um, I've been pretty lucky. I've had Leachy on here, Shane Gates, who made his debut a few weeks ago, and um, guys like uh, who else have we had? Jimmy Moore as well. So, you know, we've you're um, in a podcast with, you know, all those big big names and you've just made it an even bigger podcast so thanks to you i think we're going to be top of the charts in japan again so i'm forever great tell you what if those if those ratings don't bump up from 100 views a week to 101 i'll be very disappointed <laughs> yeah I'll, um i'll make sure i send it to your family in new zealand just uh just so i get three more downloads or something <laughs> but nice um yeah i guess uh just before we go, I put out a thing on Instagram just to ask if anyone's got a few questions and I got a couple. Um, and yeah, if you're okay with time still, I'd like to ask them if that's okay. Absolutely not. Cool. And that is us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first one is a interesting one. Um, we've talked, I think we've mentioned about three times that you're in a happy relationship with your wife. Uh, but what somebody asked, um, what are your thoughts on Japanese women? I guess, you know, as a whole, um, as someone looking in for, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Japanese women? <laughs> you really struggled to spit that one out there, Dave. I, uh, I wasn't sure how to word it, like, in a PC way. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I, don't, I don't really know, mate, because I can't speak to anyone. So, <laughs> well, my my Japanese is coming along, but no, not, not very good. So, mm-hmm. no, I think Japanese woman are as beautiful as anyone in the world so mm-hmm. there's in this day and age with the mask so I made it a lot of the boys tell me I think who was it someone said they're like oh I can't remember but they're like oh you can't tell I hate it at the moment because you can't tell if a girl's good looking or not like, what do you mean like well, when they've got the mask up you can only see their eyes so you've got to see the nose and the, and the, and the smile I was like okay mate what if it works for you <laughs> <laughs> so passionate yeah he was a very passionate guy um, well, I think, yeah, that's one. I, um, there's like a word for it because obviously masks have been popular in Japan, like, you know, for years. But there's mm. a thing, um, bijo means like beautiful woman or beautiful lady. But there's a phrase called masku bijo and it's like somebody who's good looking with a mask on. But I don't know if you'd be, you know, happy to be told that because not so much with it. Yeah, yeah. Like, is that saying like you need to have a mask on to look beautiful? So I don't know. That doesn't sound like a compliment to me, but who knows? Um, so what? Like, what if you just rolled around with like diamond studs all over your mask? Like, are you bijou or what? Oh, surely, surely. I think um maybe it's just uh, people who are real good at like makeup around their eyes, or I don't know. I don't know what it is, but well, that's a that's actually a fair point. I mean. The pandemic would have saved a lot of people a lot of money in terms of makeup because you, you don't have to do this much, give or take, you know, just the eyes. Like, yeah, yeah. How much blush and foundation would you have saved? Oh, because Japan, like, um, in New Zealand, I'm sure most of my friends only wore makeup uh, when they went out, you know, for a night in the town. But over here, it's just like every day, no matter what. And uh, my cousin actually used to wear a mask in the morning when she was walking the dog so she wouldn't have to wear makeup. So that's a fair point, I think. 
Yeah, that's what I actually heard when I first got here. That's why people wear them. I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was four years ago. I said that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you'll see uh, most people wearing masks when they're doing their driver's test, uh, just to hide their face as well. So you know, masks have got many uh, purposes over here. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but cool, cool. Uh, oh, this. So you've done a lot of travelling. So this one might be quite a good one for you. But do you have a favourite prefecture in Japan? Ooh, been to a few prefectures. I've got to be honest with you. Um, wow, she really liked um, Shikoku. We went to Shikoku oh, last yeah. year yeah, and went for a bit of a trip around there. And we really enjoyed um, Laken. I can't remember if it's Kochi or if it's um, Tokushima. Um, but right in the center of Shikoku, there's, mm-hmm. like, there's a number of valleys and really, really clear rivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we stayed in a place with the Ear Valley um, at this guy's. Uh, Homestay, kind of farm stay thing. It was just awesome, absolutely awesome. Like the homestead would be my favorite place in Japan. I reckon. Like yeah, the, yeah. It was as I imagined it to be, like 100, 200, 500 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And then I've said to many Japanese people, I said, "Oh, have you been to Ia Valley? Have you heard of Ia Valley?" And they're like, "Don't we talk about." Like, <laughs> I showed them photos. They're like, "Oh, cool." And I'm like, "How do you not know this? This is pretty famous." Yeah. Well, I think yeah. Um, no one's got time over here, you know. Like we were talking about their work-life um, balance. Uh, the only time people can go away is Golden Weekend because everyone's going away. No one wants to because it's so busy. That's a uh, double-edged sword, that. Um, but, yeah, was there a, a story you wanted to share with me? I just remembered with that um, work-life balance thing, but was there something you were going to tell me about oh. the culture? <laughs> I hope, hope they don't come knocking at my door, but I was driving out to the river today and, um, and I saw a police car pulled over on the side of the road with this, like, this hazard lights on. I was like, oh, okay. And then the two policemen crossed, crossed the road. I was like, oh, something serious has gone down. Someone's crashed or something like that. And then as I drove past them, they were spraying a political propaganda post for yeah. Suga, Yoshida Suga, and they were cleaning off, I assume to be graffiti yeah, yeah. or maybe bird crap, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, is that what police are supposed to do? Like, <laughs> clean, clean people's political placards? It was absolutely wild, mate. Oh, man. Oh. Well, yeah, I guess there's not much crime over here. Or, yeah, there's like different crime, I guess, not so much for the uh, police to do per se. Because um, mm. even like, you know, when you have to, when you buy a new car, you have to have a um, car park and uh, you have to register it. And the people who come to make sure that your car park is real are the police so that's one of their jobs as well mm. so um yeah i don't know um it seems Slide like out. i think uh if you get if someone calls the police on you about 10 will come and you know about 20 cop cars or something um because i guess they're all just keen for a bit of action yeah <laughs> <laughs> cool cool um oh this one's very niche but uh how many lockers will you take over while at panasonic three or four or will you go for a pb and take five so that was from one of your Senex teammates, but uh, what's all that about? Um, that was from Dallas Titana. Um, obviously, Senex loose board lock, formerly of the Commercial Sea Waves. Um, yes, yeah, so I, uh, I moved locker last year at Senex, and I managed to snake one beside myself extra that I shared mm-hmm. with Bonnie. So I had one and a half lockers, um, and then there was actually a spare one across the way next to Jace Emery, and so I use that as well. So I was running two and a half lockers there for a bit. Um, Dallas seems to have, you know, 
seems to be a little bit jealous of the fact that I had extra lockers, but yeah. you know, it was just the you know, my circumstances. There were three lockers next to me, so you used them. But, but to answer your question, hopefully five, Dave. Yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. We this is one that you might not have been able to do too recently, but uh what's your go to karaoke song? Oh. Well, it's my go to karaoke song. I remember singing um Teenage Dirtbag with Rich Goods oh, yeah. uh, karaoke a couple of years ago. And that was actually quite a good song to do because anyone that was born around our time knows that word for word without even really realizing it. Yeah, yeah. Locking Teenage Dirtbag. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. By Weedus. Nice, nice. <laughs> I think my go to is uh, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. It's emotional stuff, though. Oh, I, uh, I could go there by myself and uh, sing it by myself for about two hours, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a whole culture in Japan about solo karaoke. Um, I've got to get into it. Um, oh, sorry. On that, there's one thing that me and you, Abo, uh, used to always do in Fukuoka, which is go to the older uh, batting cage. Um, and we kind of got into a bit of that baseball scene. We were in Fukuoka as well. Went to see the uh, mighty SoftBank Hawks as well. But um, have you looked up your local baseball team or baseball? Um, batting cage near you and uh are you all on top of that are you gonna go once this pandemic's uh over to your to go hit some uh, balls i did note a couple of batting cages today as i was driving around the street so i'll be there soon i'm due but it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit hot at the moment but oh. and then obviously my team around here will be the saitama stebu lions oh yeah but obviously a staunch you know a staunch rival of the football softbank balls mm-hmm. I just can't bring myself to probably be a supporter of them. I think I'll just I'll just wear my SoftBank horse uh, shirt to hopefully they have some home games up here and I'll, I'll yep. get to those and be the random guy in the crowd wearing a Hawks jersey. Well, um, I think you'll be able to go to uh, – whenever we got tickets, we got them like through mates, so we'd kind of be in the seated area. But I think all their away fans, they always go to like the home run area and – they're the ones always standing up and dancing, so you'll be in that crowd. So, you know, that's one thing I want to do, eh? You have to invite me. I'll come watch with you. Actually, um, we actually got tickets one time. I think I bought them. Oh, yeah. Coincidentally, the cheapest ones at, at the Fukuoka Dome. Mm-hmm. Um, and went in my Hawks <laughs> jersey, and it was in the away team area. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like, we sat down, <laughs> and I didn't even know, because how do you know? The website's yeah, yeah. all in Japanese. Sat down, and then... Like literally someone came up and said, you can't cheer because you're sitting here in a football with a soft bank horse jersey. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, and he's like, this is the away area. And I'm like, oh, God's sakes. Man, um, yeah, there's rules, uh, rules for every situation, I think. But, uh, oh, man, I just, uh, I'm sure no one would be, like, too aggressive. It wouldn't be, like, English uh, football fans or anything, but there would be a lot of, I guess, passive aggression um, uh, if you were in that uh place and you were cheering too loudly for the opposition i think eh? no exactly not. exactly so uh sorry we just got one or two more um oh here's one from your old teammate toyo-san toyo from coca-cola but uh where is abo-chan's favorite noodle restaurant in japan loaded question this but um there's a dry ramen restaurant mm-hmm. in kyoto not far from the castle called maruta oh maruta okay Whoa. That's yeah, it's very good, very good. Enjoyed it. I think I actually went there twice. I went there with my wife, and then I went, took my parents there 
you know, six or eight months later, it was, like, yeah, it was really good stuff. Oh, nice, nice. But I think, I think that was, uh, he wanted me to say that because that's his friend's wife. <laughs> but it was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think, uh, yeah, you can't go wrong with, um, if anyone recommends anything, most of the time it's good because, uh, you know, um, it hurts their reputation as well. And that's a big thing in Japan, you know, so you can normally trust someone. That's exactly right. Um, cool. Uh, do you still get into the odd noodle over here or? Um, I'm a big fan of soba. Oh yeah. Is that the buckwheat, is it? Yeah, buckwheat. So I'm a big fan of a cold soba with a vegetable tempura set. That's real go-to for me. Nice, nice. Sounds healthy as well. Alrighty. Uh, we'll go to the last one and it's a, it's a biggie. Uh, what does it take to become a pro rugby player? Do you reckon? I added the to reckon, but. Um, this is a hard question, Ducks. You left the hardest one for last. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It just, I never, like, when I, when I was a kid, I wrote down that I wanted to be a professional athlete. Like, everyone, mm-hmm. oh, what do you want to be? Oh, fine, I'm a doctor. I was always like, oh, I want to be a pro rugby player, a pro cricketer. Like, but like, at that age, you never really think you're actually going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until. I finished school and went to get there and I came back and started playing rugby and crushes that, you know, got um, into the academy system. I was like, oh, maybe I could actually could actually do this. And it wasn't until that point that I really started putting a lot of focus on it, a lot of energy and a lot of, um, sorry, like, it became what I really wanted to do. Like, it was yeah. my heart desire kind of thing. So, um, and then from that point, like, there was, there was nothing else I, like, wanted to do and no... Sacrifice was probably great enough for me to get in the way of that, that goal. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I read or I heard something recently. It was like, if, it, if it's something you really want to do, you rationalize everything to make that whatever it is make sense. Does that, yeah, yeah. That, um, does that, you understand that? So, like, I knew I wanted to do that when, when I turned you know, 19, 20, and I was like, sweet, I'll just jump every hurdle or do whatever I have to do to get there. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously that involved countless hours of training and countless hours of uh, effort and concentrated, yeah, work. But, um, yeah, on Jimmy's podcast, I said, like, for me personally, like, I really rate being physically fit, mm-hmm. um, not just in the gym, I mean, more conditioning fit, aerobically fit. Yeah. And I just find for, for a game like rugby, it's just so fast these days that you really need to be um, – fit to keep up with it and I just found the fitter I got and the fitter I was the more lucky I was the term I use but you just you just end up popping up in the right place at the right time and mm-hmm. you're like oh wow like I'm so lucky and you're like well no you just because you're, you're fit and you're you're accurate you're, you're turning up in the right place to school try to make the tackle to give the offload or whatever and it just it seemed to you know perpetuate itself so I've really really honed it on that over the last Kind of eight to ten years being that's one of the things I always focus on. Nice, nice. I guess um yeah, that thing about like normally people will rationalise reasons not to do stuff. So you know, even that training, a lot of times we'll be like, oh no, like if I train again today, then I might you know be overtraining and all that. But I guess what you're saying is mm-hmm. yeah, if you want it enough, then you'll be doing the opposite. So subconsciously you do it, like mm-hmm. you like you make all those decisions kind of thing. Yeah. There was actually one more thing, I think, sorry, like real early on when I was trying to crack it, there was a friend of mine who put this post up and, and he, it basically alluded to the fact that if you give yourself no other option, so like if I've got rugby and then I've got, oh, but I, I could go and do this or, yeah. you know, if it doesn't work, I'll do that, then you're more likely to not give 100%. Whereas like if 
if you've got, I have to do rugby, there's nothing else, like you do everything to make it work. Like I had that real mentality. Like I was like, this doesn't work out. This is A, really embarrassing because I'll go back home and like you might be like, could make it, man. And B, I didn't have anything else I wanted to do. I didn't have any like kind of career that I was interested in that would really motivated me. So Mm -hmm. put yourself in that position is probably a good place to be. Nice, nice. Nah, oh, what a great way to finish. Um, I think it's the deepest I've ever been in the podcast. So, um, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to crack 105 listeners this week. Can't wait. Mate, you look like you're sweating. You yeah, right? Honestly, I am like, I can actually, it looks like I've just been in the water. I think, uh, <laughs> oh. uh I think I'm going to leave it there. But, um, thanks again, uh, Heather for coming on. Quite short notice, but, um, it's always good to talk to you. Uh, I think it'll be, oh, we've just gone into another state of emergency in Kanagawa and maybe in Saitama as well. So, you know, once all this is hopefully uh, settled, once it all settles down a little bit, I'll come over and um, hit a few baseballs with you. So That sounds like a plan, mate. Looking forward to it. I know. Cheers, cheers. Um, right, mate. Get on that electric guitar. Show oh, us how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Let's go. Cool.